Well, thank you, Brother Ed, for leading us in our worship this morning. And Gary, thank you for that wonderful uh, communion thought that you shared with us today. We want to say good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest and you're always welcome to this church whenever the doors are open. And we say it every single Sunday morning. We believe you've come to the right place because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. Say amen if you can. Amen. Well, today is a a special day. Uh, I heard... uh, Number one, that the Alzheimer's uh, support group meeting that we had on Saturday was uh, well attended. So we want to say thank you to everyone who came out and was a participant in that. Uh, We really appreciate you and your support for those that are going through uh, working with a spouse or a loved one that has Alzheimer's. Uh, Also want to say thank you to those of you who came out on Wednesday night for our card writing event that we had on Wednesday. And I want to I make this crystal clear. Whenever you come out and you take the time to write a card and send it in the mail, it is really encouraging to those that receive the cards. I hear it all the time during the week. People feel really blessed when they receive a card. So thank you for everybody who came out on Wednesday and put forth some effort and did that. We, we really appreciate you. And also, Kevin, thank you so much for your Bible class. Uh, It is always encouraging and uplifting. Today we were talking about wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And if you have wisdom today, you know that the Broncos are going to get beat. Amen. (laughs) Oh, boy. So my daughter Isabella told me a joke today, and I thought it was really funny. And I wanted to share this with you, Vic. Uh, <laughs> my daughter came up to me. She said, Dad, uh, do you know what's worse than a Dallas Cowboys fan? And I said, what, Izzy? She said, two Dallas Cowboys fans. <laughs> well, as you know, today is Super Bowl Sunday. By show of hands, how many Broncos fans do we have in the house? All right, all right. You guys need to repent after the service today. Panthers fans, raise your hands, raise your hand. There you go, right, Panthers fans. <laughs> Oh, boy. I'm not going to tell you who I'm rooting for this morning. I'm going to give you the political answer. I just hope and pray that it's a really nice spirited game uh, and that we enjoy ourselves. So this morning, we're going to begin a series of lessons on the book of Acts, okay? And if you've been attending the men's Bible study, you know that you all have been working through the book of Acts as well. But in my daily Bible study readings, what I typically do is I spend time praying about a passage or a book, and and this time the Lord really laid on my heart to study collectively together the book of Acts. And what I want to do is I want to examine the first four chapters of Luke's writing on the mission of the early church. So the book of Acts is a great book to study if you want to know more about how the church grew from a small group of about 120 people to a population of over 2 billion adherents today. The title of the sermon this morning is, Can I Get a Witness? Can I Get a Witness? If you have a copy of your Bibles this morning, take them out and open up to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 1 this morning, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. 
right after the Gospel of John. And I want you to follow along with me. Uh, Mike, don't worry about changing the slides. As I read verses 3 through 8 of Acts chapter 1. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Can I get a witness? The book of Acts was written by this guy by the name of Luke. And we all know that Luke, by occupation, was a physician. He was an MD, if you will. He grew up in the city of Antioch, and Antioch is in modern-day Syria. And we know that he converted to Christianity and became an evangelist of Jesus Christ, serving the Lord and his church until about the age of 84. He lived a full, healthy life. And what's so interesting about Luke is that not only did he write the book of Acts, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And if you study the Luke-Acts accounts or writings, you'll see a lot of similar language. And if you recall uh, the beginning of Luke, the narrative is that God came into the flesh and then Luke begins to tell the story of his life and of his death and his resurrection. And then you look into the book of Acts, and we see Acts beginning with the narrative of Jesus ascending into heaven. And then Luke goes on to tell the story of the church growing and spreading across the world. There's a couple of key words that I want you to just kind of think about and ponder with me as we consider Luke's writing in the book of Acts. Luke loved to use language like eyewitness or proof or investigation or convincing, okay? So those are a couple of key words that I just want you to kind of focus on as we go through this material. And like any good journalist or reporter, Luke wanted his readers to know that he was reporting the truth. Might go to this first slide. After his suffering, we know that the life of Jesus was marked by suffering. Many commentators, and even throughout Scripture, Jesus is known as the suffering servant. He came to give his life for you and I so that we can have a chance to be connected with God, 
to have our sins and iniquities washed away, to become a brand new person, and to one day be able to enjoy paradise on the other side. But in order for that to occur, Jesus had to suffer. He was crucified, put on a cross, and thanks be to God that he rose again. After he rose again, the scripture says, after he died and he rose again, he presented himself to them, who were they, the disciples, and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Just think about the very essence of the Christian faith. The very essence of the Christian faith hinges upon Jesus' resurrection, right? If Jesus never rose, we can say that this character was really not the Son of God. He was just some person that was a nice guy. And, and this whole Christian thing that we're involved in today really wouldn't be truthful. So after Jesus' death, you remember what the disciples were doing, right? They got discouraged because Jesus had died. Many of his disciples went back to their old occupation of fishing, right? And Jesus shows up. And there's one account where the disciples are together in this room, and Jesus shows up in the midst of them, and one guy wasn't there. And that guy was the name, by the name of Thomas. You remember Doubting Thomas, right? And Jesus said, look, here, I'm alive. I'm here in the flesh. Come pinch my hands, right? Come look at me. Check me out. And the disciples said, Jesus is alive. He's here. Thomas was gone. And the disciples went back to Thomas and said, hey, Thomas, Jesus just showed up and you missed him. And Thomas said, you know what? Unless I see him physically with my eyes and touch the nail prints in his hands, I will not believe Later on, Jesus had the encounter with Thomas, and Thomas said, I believe you are my Lord and my God. And then Scripture goes on to say, Thomas, you're blessed because you see me, you got to see me, and you believe. But blessed are those, which is you, which is you, which is you, who choose to believe in Jesus Christ even though you have never seen him. So Jesus came to show that he was still alive, convincing them. And then the scripture says, over a period of 40 days, he began to speak about the kingdom of God. If we could define what the kingdom of God was today, what would you say it is, right? Think in your minds, what, what is the kingdom of God? Many people would say the kingdom of God is the church, and I think that's the right definition of the kingdom of God. Others would say the kingdom of God is God's rule in the earth today his dominion over the earth. Here's what I do know about the kingdom of God. First of all, I know that this world that we live in is Satan's playground. Would you agree? Say amen if you can. Satan is the prince of this world. He runs the show down here. He really does, right? But then we have this sanctified, set-apart group of people called Christians. And in the house of God, Satan does not rule. He has no place here, right? That is the kingdom of God, a place where God's people resides, where there is sanctity, edification, and a mission and purpose. And I want to tell you this. The kingdom of God is God's mission here in this earth to restore all things. And that's hard to do. We have a tough challenge ahead of us because this is Satan's playground, but we're, yet we're called to have a mission here of reconciling the world to God. So God's people have a really, really hard mission. It's hard to be a member of the kingdom of God. It's hard to be a member of the church because our mission is very difficult. 
We're called to love God completely and love others, and that can become tricky at times in Satan's playground. But we're called to be witnesses nonetheless. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 5 Uh, First of all, if you have your outlines, if you open up your bulletin, there's a sermon outline in there. I want you to take that out and make sure you follow along with us because I want to talk to you today about something that is very interesting in my opinion. Uh, And what I want to talk to you about today is, is the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the Christian and how the Holy Spirit really helps us to witness, okay? So Acts 1 and verse number 5, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, first of all, the disciples heard about the Holy Spirit, this idea of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked to them about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. He said, you know, when I go up to glory, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, okay? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to do some wonderful things in your life. It's going to be transforming and powerful. But guess what? In John chapter 14, the disciples really didn't understand what Jesus was talking about when he mentioned the Holy Spirit. What they did understand was baptism because this idea of baptism had been happening and occurring years and years and years before Jesus even showed up. The Jews were practicing baptism. You remember John the Baptist came and he was baptizing people and it was a baptism of repentance. Then Jesus says, guess what? The Holy Spirit is coming and you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And being baptized by the Holy Spirit was something completely different. So this morning, I really want to just talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit. By a show of hands, how many of you come from a charismatic or Pentecostal church background? Anybody here this morning? Okay, one, a couple of you. Charismatic or Pentecostal background really embrace this idea of baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you grew up in a non-denominational Christian church or a church of Christ or maybe a high church like Catholic or Episcopalian or something like that, Presbyterian, you notice that there are some different definitions and understandings about baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's the way that I grew up. The Holy Spirit works through reading the Bible. And that's how the Holy Spirit works, right? So if you want to understand the Holy Spirit, it's in the Word. That's where the Holy Spirit is contained. I grew up with that understanding my entire life. I decided to challenge that understanding while I was a student at Harding University, okay? In Harding University, which is in Searcy, Arkansas, there's a Church of Christ on every single corner. And you think I'm exaggerating, but it is true. Churches of Christ everywhere. And then in this Church of Christ community, there was this church called the Full Gospel Church, right? And what people used to tell me is those people at the Full Gospel Church, they're preaching false doctrine. Jason, don't you go over there. I said, you know what? I think I do need to go over there just to investigate, to see what's going on, right? So I can share the truth of the gospel with them, right? So it was the Full Gospel Church. It was on a Wednesday night. I'll never forget it. I decided to take Mary with me. So we walk into the Full Gospel Church in Searcy, Arkansas, and what they were doing is they were having a prayer meeting. So what you had to do is you had to get in line, and the pastors were up in the front. You wait your turn. You walk all the way up into the front, and the pastor lays his hands on you, 
and prays for you, and there you're supposed to receive the gifts of speaking in tongues. That's what happened that day. So I got in line, and the line, I mean, it took a while to get to our prayer request. I mean, we must have been there for about 45 minutes. Knees were getting weak. I was I almost decided to walk out, right? But we got up to the front, and the pastor laid his hands on my head. And he said, I see great things for you, child of God. Now receive the Holy Spirit. And I said, I receive, right? And he said, now let me hear you speak in tongues. And I said, And I, it wasn't working. And I said, well, let me try again. And it didn't work. And you know what the pastor said? Stop doubting and believe. And I said, I believe I can speak in tongues. And he said, try again. And this time I just made up some. I said, hola, me llamo Jason, right? <laughs> that day I just kind of walked out. And I was, I was scratching my head, and I was really trying to deal with this. I said, you know, I went there with full intentions. My heart was open, but what they were talking about didn't happen to me. Didn't happen to me. Now, I don't know many people in our fellowship that speak in tongues miraculously through the power of the Holy Spirit. If I did a show of hands, many of you guys would probably not raise your hands that you have that ability. We know that some believe that baptism of the Holy Spirit allows you miraculous gifts and powers, but others say, well, that's not the case. So how do we work this thing out? How do we reconcile this? Because this is difficult and hard to understand. I know that I can't speak in tongues. I've tried, right? I know that I can't heal people. I've tried. I know I can't raise the dead because my dog Fufu didn't, didn't get back up, right? I can't do those things. So what does this mean? Do I, am I not baptized by the Holy Spirit? Does it not work in me? Well, I want to flesh some of these misconceptions out and, and, and talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. So I want to give you a couple of facts about the Holy Spirit that I understand from studying the Scripture. First of all, what we know about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead. And I, I on purpose don't say Trinity because we never find the word Trinity used in Scripture. But we do see this, this idea of three in one. We do see the concept of the, the Godhead, okay? The Godhead is the Father, the Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So we know that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is God. What else do we know? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit is present in both the Old Testament in the New Testament. We see the workings of the Holy Spirit all throughout the Old Testament, don't we? We see the Holy Spirit show up in the form of a cloud. We see the Holy Spirit working in very miraculous ways all throughout the Old Testament. And then we get to the New Testament and we really see the Holy Spirit active, don't we? We see it in the life of Jesus. We see it in the lives of the early apostles by healing people, speaking in tongues, and we see all these miraculous things. So I want to make this clear. The Holy Spirit was present in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I will add this caveat too. The Holy Spirit is alive and well today in the church. We need to make that clear, right? Here's also what I know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave regular people miraculous powers. It really did. Just think about the apostles. Remember Peter and John, they were at the temple and there was a beggar there and they said, silver and gold, have I none? But in the name of Jesus, I command you to rise up. And that man was able to do that. Miraculous powers. They were able to speak in different languages, right? 
Remember, Paul was bitten by a venomous snake and it didn't even bother him, right? Miraculous power to regular people. Here's what I do know about the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you after baptism. And we see that throughout Scripture. When you're baptized and the person came out of the water, they received the Holy Spirit. And that's why baptism is so important, church. Because in baptism, God takes up residence in you. It's powerful. That's not to say that the Holy Spirit is not working in and around your life prior to the baptism. But when you're baptized and you come into that water, God lives inside of you now, in your heart. And he helps you. What else do we know about the Holy Spirit? Well, we know this from John 14 and other passages. We know the Holy Spirit comforts us. You ever gone through a hard time and you couldn't understand why you were still strong and you were able to get through it even though it was difficult? It's because the Holy Spirit was with you. The Holy Spirit guides us. Have you ever been in a situation before where you didn't know what direction to go in and you felt God leading you? The Holy Spirit counsels us. The Holy Spirit reveals truth. And that's where that Bible piece, in my opinion, comes into play. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts. Whatever you're good at, that talent, that ability, the Holy Spirit gave you that. And the Holy Spirit, let me, let me, let me make this clear. The Holy Spirit always produces fruit. Always. There's never a time where the Holy Spirit does not produce fruit. It always produces fruit. And then lastly, here's the caution that I think we all have to be aware of. Also know that the Holy Spirit can be quenched. It can be quenched. Now, what do we mean by that, and how do you quench the Holy Spirit, right? Um, the best way to illustrate this, and this was my favorite movie coming up. Maybe this will help some of the kids in the audience. Have you ever seen the movie Pinocchio? Great theological movie. I mean, there's just some really deep biblical truths in there, right? You remember Pinocchio? He was this, this wooden character, and there was this, this guy, this conscience called Jiminy Cricket. You remember that? And Jiminy Cricket was there to always tell him to do the right thing. But then he got involved in some bad stuff, didn't he, along the way? He was smoking and drinking and hanging out with donkeys. Am I right about it? Right? And then Jiminy Cricket got thrown off to the side. And basically what that meant is that side, that, that, that counsel, that desire to good, do good was no longer there. So the Holy Spirit can be quenched if we involve our lives into a lifestyle of sin. Whenever we sin, whenever we willfully disobey the word of God and the direction of God, the Holy Spirit begins to get quenched. And then we just go further and further and further into the deep end. It can be quenched, so we've got to be careful with it. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Hopefully you wrote those things down. As we continue on in the narrative of Acts, Scripture says here in 1 and 8, when you get the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a really important element when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to be a witness for the Lord. So, Ken, I, I finally saw War Room. I, I watched it last night. It was between Straight Out of Compton and War Room. So I said, I know what God wants me to watch, right? So 
watched War, <laughs> War Room last night. It was a wonderful, wonderful movie. In, in this movie, War Room, it really talks about the power of prayer and that how prayer mixed and coupled with the Holy Spirit can change people's lives and we can become powerful witnesses for the Lord. The Holy Spirit gives us courage and I believe it starts with a, a life of prayer. So the Holy Spirit helps us to become the witnesses that God wants us to be. And that's why the title of the sermon this morning is, Can I Get a Witness? Because that's what God is asking from his people. Is there anybody here who's willing to witness for me? Right? Is there anybody? Or do we come and do we play church on Sunday? Which one is it? God wants witnesses of his people. And what I love about Acts 1 and 8 is I love this, this natural progression, right? He says, look, first of all, you're going to be a witness for me in Jerusalem, where you are right now. In other words, church, we need to be witnesses in Mission Viejo. Now, that's difficult oftentimes because we live in a transitional community. Uh, by a show of hands, I just I never really looked at this. How many of you live in Mission Viejo? Raise your hand. That's only about half the church, if you notice this morning. That means the other half of our church is commuting from other directions. So we have this challenge ahead of us. We're planted here in Mission Viejo. We're called to make disciples of this region. One of the reasons why the elders told me to move to Mission Viejo when I took this position. You can't live up in Long Beach and San Pedro. You need to come down so you can be about the local work down here. So they had this mission of reaching people regionally where they were. Then he goes on to say, look, you need to be witnesses in Judea. And it means, church, that as we continue to work to evangelize this area, we can't think about the bigger picture of the state of California, right? What was so great is this week I got to go to Pepperdine University and I had a class on public policy and prison reform. And as a preacher, that's not really what I want to hear. I want to get deep into the word. I want to talk about hermeneutics and, and, you know, exegesis and what this Greek and Hebrew term means. But we were in class and we were talking about prison reform and public policy. And it dawned on me, we have an opportunity, church, to impact those spheres and those circles as well. So on uh, Friday, well, no, on, on Wednesday, I wasn't at Bible class because I was in jail. We did a tour, okay, of the jail. So I was in jail, right? And we spent time looking at people that were in segregation and had been in solitary confinement for years, right? And we were talking about how there's room here to share the gospel even in this place, right? So we have to think about the greater goal. The, we need to evangelize the state of California. You know what people from Texas say about California all the time, right? right? How can you go and live in California? You know, one of the reasons why I decided to move back to California is because I saw this as a great mission field. You know, I could have stayed in the Bible Belt, the, the buckle of the Bible Belt, where if you drop a Bible, a church will plant up and just grow miraculously. Right? Out here it's difficult, and we have a tough job ahead of us. And then he goes on to say, look, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, which is the United States, what are we doing to get this Christian message across to everybody in this country? And then he goes on to say the world. So we have a tough mission ahead of us. And I believe that God is looking for witnesses who aren't afraid to testify about what God has done for them. So 
So I want to leave you with uh, a couple of things as we close. Last slide, Mike. Really, the question that I want to close with and, and talk about is, is practical in nature. And I want to give you some, some practical applications. So the question is, how can you become a better witness for the Lord today? How can you do that? So I've got three points for you, and then I'll be done this morning. Acts chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 is a powerful text. It says this, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. I love this text. It's, it's really powerful. And the reason why I think it's so powerful is because it reveals some truths to us. The first thing that is just astounding and mind-boggling and blowing to me is that the number of the disciples are about 120. That's smaller than this church, right? And they were able to change the world. But how were they able to do that? Well, number one, they were able to do that through a constant prayer life. So if you want to become a better witness for the Lord, and that's why I love that movie War Room so much. If you want to become a better witness for the Lord, it really begins with prayer. It really does. And what are you praying for? Well, you're praying for the person that God has placed on your heart. There's people all around us that need God in their lives. And what we should be doing right now, that person that we're thinking about, that neighbor, that coworker, that person that we know needs a relationship with God, we should be on our hands and knees for them, petitioning for them. But how many of us really do that? Are we really down on our hands and knees in our closet, our place of solitude, praying night and day for that person? I don't know if we do, as much as we should anyway. And there's always room for improvement. But it starts with prayer. Or pray that God will bring somebody into your life that needs Jesus. That's all it starts with, church. That should be our prayer. Lord, help me to encounter somebody today that might need some encouragement. Help me to encounter somebody today that might need to hear the message of Jesus. It starts with prayer, and that's how you become a better witness. Start praying now. Here's another one, point number two. How do you become a better witness? Share your story. Or in other words, share or tell your testimony. Talk about how God has been working in your life. You know, too often, and this is going to sound really bad, especially coming from a preacher, but bear with me. Too often we lead with this and go like this. Here, you need this. Right? Here, hurry up and eat it. Right? That's what we do. And you know why I say that? Because I'm the king of that. I can't help it when I see people. I say, hey, here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, Acts chapter 2, and I just start going, right? I can't help it. That's how I'm programmed. But what I'm finding is when I leave with that, you know what people do? Get away from me. What are you, Jehovah's Witness or something? Like, leave me alone, right? So what I've learned since living in California is I begin with my story. And I say, you know what? I wouldn't be in the place that I am today if, if I didn't have my family. And the reason why I have a wonderful family is because they love the Lord. And they taught me these things, right? And I'm able to teach my children. And God has blessed me with this wonderful, this wonderful place. And they go, wow, right? And then I say, I was able to make it through this trial or the struggle in my life because I was praying and the Lord answered my prayer. And people go, man, I need some of that, right? 
So we start with our testimony and tell our story, and then that question is going to come up, right? So what does the Bible say about that? What does that verse say? And then that's when you give them this. Because sometimes this is, well, let me say this. This is really strong penicillin. It's really strong. And it can really be used to hurt people or to help people. And we talked about wisdom this morning. Wisdom comes from this, and understanding is learning how to properly use this. You know what 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now that's understanding. That's understanding. And then lastly, I want to leave you this. Here's one that, that I think is so powerful that we often neglect. If you want to be a better witness, start with using your hobbies. And I wish we had the time to go around the auditorium this morning and just hear from each one of you on what you just like to do that's just fun, right? You'd be surprised at the type of hobbies that people have. And they're really cool. And a great way to witness is to use the hobbies that you're already doing. So for me, you already know my hobbies. I love doing music, and I really love sports. So I combine those two, and I use those as tools to witness. And that's why with the music, I talk about Jesus and music. That's why I'm coaching girls basketball. In girls basketball, I get to talk about some elements of faith and, and leadership and, and morality, and it's wonderful. And there are a lot of opportunities for you to use your hobbies, your giftedness, to share your testimony, and I would really encourage you to do that because that's what the Lord wants from us. And he's saying this morning, church, can I get a witness? Can I, can I get someone can I get someone to speak up and to tell others about how good I am? Can I get a witness that has the courage, that is filled with the Holy Spirit, to go out there and to share and to evangelize and to teach? Can I get a witness? And I look across the auditorium this morning. I know we have some witnesses in the house. I know it. And I would just encourage you to keep up the good work, church. So by way of invitation this morning, we have a song selected. If there is anyone here that has maybe been falling short in this area of not witnessing as you should, maybe some things in your life have been difficult and it's kind of distracted you just a little bit, maybe because of sin in your life, you've quenched the spirit, which happens from time to time, so you feel depleted and you feel weak. The church is here to pray with you, to pray for you, to encourage you, to build you up, fan that flame of the Holy Spirit within you. So you can be on fire for the Lord. Maybe there's someone here this morning that has not been baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. We give you an opportunity to be baptized today. That's why we have water up here. Here is water. What doth hinder thee? When you're baptized, your sins and everything you did in the past is completely gone, even if you don't forgive yourself yet. God says, I forgave you. And then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can live a brand new life in Jesus Christ. Whatever your needs or concerns are, won't you come together while we stand and sing the song of invitation? Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. 